back, everybody, to another episode of the Overdue Rentals Podcast, the podcast where we talk about films that don't seem to get talked about as much anymore as they used to be. Maybe they never got talked about in general. Maybe they got talked about too much, but now everybody has just forgotten. Who knows? That's what we're here to find out. I'm Matthew Schuckman. And I'm Cinema Buns Mike Reyes. And today, Mike, we are going to be joined by the one, the only, Tony Todd. The incomparable yes. Tony Todd, who the mention of that name, his oaken voice already fills your ears and just a slew of credits from genre fair to blockbusters to indies like the one we're about to talk to talk about today. Yeah, because first we're going to talk about his, his newer film that he's in called Stoker Hills, which is very briefly basically about a couple of uh, college students film students who uh, go out to make a film and uh, things don't go right. Yeah, I mean, you know, independent film is hard these days. You can barely find a distributor. Good luck finding a camera that won't fail on you. And uh, an organ reaping serial killer might just wind up in the middle of the year, you know. Maybe. Who knows? But we're also here to talk about the 90s remake Night of the Living Dead which was directed by Tom Savini, also rewritten by George Romero originally, but starring one Tony Todd. Yes. Oh, you know, I, 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 I think I told, I tell, I'm going to probably tell this story. Well, I'm not going to tell the story because I'm going to save it for the interview. I want Mr. Todd okay. to hear this. But when you told me that this was happening, I lost it because yeah, obviously, you know, you look at Tony Todd's body of work and most people probably will think of Candyman. Yes. Because why not? Uh, but there's, you know, you think of things like The Rock, like um, I'm going to be so tempted not to to try and goad him into, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that, but just, <laughs> I love his big moment in The Rock with Nicolas Cage. That's, we'll just leave it at that. That's, that's fan stuff. Well, why don't we get Tony in and see what Fair he has enough. to say? Right? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows what Night of the Living Dead's about. So, and if not, you're about to learn today, folks, because we are about to let Tony Todd over to the overdue rentals rental counter and he gets to pick a candy of his choice come on in tony hi matthew hi mike hello mr todd it is a pleasure to meet you oh Oh, thank you guys happy monday yes yes yes. happy monday you know what a week a divisional playoff football i must say well, all I'm right, amazed so- that I'm awake this early. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, since you brought it up, since you brought it up, do you think they should change the overtime rules? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Here first. The Bills last night, come on, man. After that drive, and then they'll sit there and watch you. Come on. I don't, and I, they need know. to create a Brady rule, too. They need to give oh, him yeah. some offensive linemen that can protect his ass so he doesn't have to come back strategically in the second half. Jesus Christ. But it was good. It was good for the sport. Really close games. I will say that I have to agree a little bit. I, you know, a lot of people say it, and I, but I saw Damian Woody put it up on Twitter. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get the fact of trying to give everybody their own chance to, to, to play the ball, but your defense should be in the game too. And if your defense Absolutely. is good enough to stop it, then maybe you shouldn't be there anyway. I mean, even though the Bulls, Bills defense you know, was great this year. It was great. They were stupendous. It reminded me of the four times back in the what way back when and said, but they no, they got heart and um, their quarterback is the keeper. Josh Allen is fantastic. Oh, yeah. But I'm also happy for Cincinnati since it's been so long for them to be in the hunt. I'm from New great. England, so I was kind of rooting for a Cincinnati Bills uh, hookup. That would have been <laughs> one for the ages and the bookies up there in Western New York. <laughs> well, as much as I love to sit and talk about football all day, actually, because yeah, I, I am a big football sorry. fanatic. No, I trust me. Yeah. I, would, I If I can sit here and talk to you for 45 minutes about football, let's do that. I don't care. Who's your team? Unfortunately, I'm a Jets fan. Okay, that's all right. That's okay. I, I'm a that's big, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a person for the underdog. I've always been the underdog person. Gotcha. So you're a Mets fan and a Jets fan? Yep, gotcha. exactly. Yep. Some, somebody dragged you off to a game or two when you were young and ruined you for life. <laughs> Well, you know, my father will be listening to this and he knows it's his fault, but I agree. You know, I'm fine with talking about it. What about you, Mike? Who, who are your teams? Uh, I really don't follow football oh, okay. all that much, oh. but I, I do come from a family that is uh, Giants friendly. I got you. I got you. So you didn't see any of the games this weekend. I mean, they were as close as they ever could possibly be. I saw the Twitter explode with all of the everything between changing the rulings and just not 
being able to contain themselves with the fact that this has been, as you said, a fantastic run. Yes. And I, I think I have actually missed out now. So maybe I'll have it's to watch it. It'll football. be on YouTube forever and ever. These are four classic games happening. But was, anyway, was, let's get down to brass tacks. Yeah, well, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. How are oh, you doing, good. Mike? Mike? Doing well, doing well. Yes, especially when uh, Matthew called me last week. Yeah. And, you know, we, we put in, you know how this business goes. We put in our, our, our bids and it's like, okay, it might work. It might not. And then he calls me on Friday night. He's like, are you sitting down? I was like, yeah. He's like, are you strapped in? I was like, oh, ooh, okay. Yes. Why? We've got Tony Todd. We need, we don't have the time yet, but we have him on Monday. Oh, that's great guys. I couldn't I'm believe it. I'm glad I can make you fan out. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, let's, I think let's let's start off though because we are here a little bit to promote Stoker Hills. So I want to talk very quickly, and I don't want to ruin anything, I guess. But I'm going to start off with something that could be technically, uh, I don't know, maybe spoilerific for people because I feel that with your history, when you get hired on a film like this, that there's an expectation that maybe you are a red herring in certain ways. And I'm wondering if you kind of put that thought into a little bit of your performance to kind of try and drag people along with that, even if that's not the case. No, not in this case. No, I, I took it because uh, one of the things I do in my private life, I, I do actually go to different colleges and teach. And I just wanted to have that recorded for prosperity or what mm. that moment is like. I mean, last year I did four uh, HBCCs, um, Hampton... <laughs> Atlanta, I also did Boston College, where, uh, you know, as I wind down into the twilight of my career, I, I want to spend more time doing that, teaching and touching young minds and um, getting them inspired and preparing them for the landscape that, that awaits them, you know, as well as being more particular about projects that I choose. And we're going to have some great announcements coming soon. Nothing I can drop today, but... Uh, when I finish this session today, I got to go sign some contracts. So I think everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised. Well, that's just, uh, that is you in a nutshell. I mean, you are a veteran character actor who just, in a, first of all, anybody hears your name, they have their favorites. It may have been Star Trek or Babylon 5 or Candyman mm. or The Rock or Night of the Living Dead 90. Right. And but you just look at the full breadth of your work and it's just an amazing story. I'm sorry, guys. I got a new cat here who is from, who's very jealous. Oh. He's and climbing over everything I'm sitting on. So if you hear any wild scratches, that's not me. It's not my stomach rumbling. It's my new cat, Thelonious Mango. Thelonious, calm down. <laughs> I love the photos you've been posting, by the way. I just, I saw them on your, your Instagram and just yeah. the beautiful baby you've got there. Uh, thank you. It, uh, it took me a while. My last cat, Spiky Sparks, passed away about a month and a half ago. It took me a moment, but uh, I needed to have another cat for Charlie, who's hiding as always. <laughs> yeah. It's, so that, that makes life even more precious, you know? Um, I've been in this game for a minute now. And people ask me, what's the secret of longevity? And I said, well, first of all, you got to know when to walk away if you're not happy. Mm. If, you, if, if the business is just a grind, there's no reason to do it. I came into this out of joy. Uh, I discovered theater at an early age, and nothing makes me happier than being in rehearsals, uh, tech week, opening night, and people actually sharing the realization of what you've been working towards. And uh, so... Uh, we've been offered two plays this year. I don't know if it's going to happen because of our current, um, you know, um, uh, super spreader condition. Yeah. Uh, I hope they do. Uh, the both August Wilson plays, and I'm a huge supporter and fan of him. And uh, like I said, we got some contracts to sign today. I wish I could tell you guys. I wish I could give you the first scoop. <laughs> um, that's okay. That's what the start. That's what the Spider-Man questions are for. Okay, good, 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 good. <laughs> the dragon's blood. Everything else is out there. But well, but going back though to 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 the teaching, do you want it to cover all aspects of of whether it being dealing with the business, just straight acting, history, uh, beyond what no. you've done already, or do you want to expand it? 
I want to expand it because I think a lot of acting students, I mean, I, I came up through the conservatory system. I went to uh, the Gene O'Neill Theater Center in Waterford, Connecticut, and then I went to uh, Trinity Rep in Providence, put in a good seven years doing that. Mm -hmm. There is no formula, though, to success. Some people can be in school and classes for 10 plus years. Some people can wake up one day and walk down the street, get hit by a bus, driven by an agent. Next thing you know, they're making movie star. Uh, but there is a sensibility. And, you know, the name of this game is called show business. So I want to give them, in today's world where we've had studies and education interrupted almost two years now, there is a whole crop of young acting students that have been working all their life to convince their parents to support something that they have maybe. Uh, one in a hundred chances of succeeding at and now they're not able to do their scenes in class they're not able to share the joy of the, of the fellow students projects and uh you know i've been doing a lot they asked me so how do you navigate there's more roles now than ever before in the history of hollywood of all the streaming avenues and there's actually more diversity than ever before so you know you just got to find your niche and be positive, be prepared, and uh, and let and let just like those football games, you know, you never know how it's going to end. Yeah. But if you don't fight to the bitter end, if you don't get up there and like make it possible for your star teammate to make a play, then there's not going to be a curtain call. So I just want people to just you know just trust themselves, but also be as prepared as they can be. Keep the joy. There's too much angst going on in the world, particularly when it comes to theater and film and categorizations and cancel culture and all this crap. Just do your job. Be happy. Make somebody else happy, which is the audience. And that's where we include them. You said that you want to, part of it is wanting to like let people know that it's okay to walk away when you don't feel that it's yeah, okay. But have absolutely. You, have you ever walked away from anything, though, that you later on changed your mind about, thought maybe it was the wrong move? Not in not not in the uh, in the movie TV mm. voiceover world. Certainly in a couple of relationships, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm a pretty placid person. I'm I'm good. Got my cats. Got my daughters. She graduated Wesleyan in Columbia. So proud of her. Um, yeah, it's a good life. I miss traveling though. I do yeah. miss traveling. I was traveling. I was flying twice a month, man. Now it's, but that soon will change as well. Hope so. so I want to get back to, uh, you know, it, it's it's crazy that we've been able to even make these films during this period, films like Stoker Hill, uh, but we did. I think that was shot just before things started going upside down. Hmm. So, um, you know, here's the more and here's the creativity and here's the people enjoying what they do and loving life well we always oh go ahead sorry go ahead mike no no, no you first you, you no no something. please please absolutely no that's that's absolutely correct i mean it's if you're an audience member you can tell if someone's not into it and just yes, not phoning it in there's and the minute you start phoning it in you should walk away because you're you're depriving someone else who might run to put some extra energy in the role and you're cheating your audience members and you know that's another thing I hate. I, I mean, I have some several pet peeves. I don't like stars who uh, treat mm. their fans cruelly. You know, I mean, it takes fandom to be able to have continual success. So you can't like them. You know, it takes. You know, just because you're on a movie or on a TV show, that doesn't make you any better than anybody else. And you need to know where your roots are and where you come from. I went to a public high school, okay? I went through the four years of high school angst and trouble. I had my growth period in high school. I was useless to the athletic department. And thank God for an English teacher named Mrs. Reno who gave me a copy of The Tempest and changed my life forever. So if all you in high school or still trying to figure it out, you never know. But when, you, when it does present itself, you better hold on to it and ride that tornado. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, we, we, what we love doing about this too, though, is there is a history back when just Mike and I were both born, back when you were born, there's still a history mm -hmm. of this industry before. And as it grows and grows, and just like you said, there's more and more productions less. So there's even more and more stuff going on. Things seem to kind of just kind of 
get pushed away and kind of like fell into some sort of weird ether where people don't mention it anymore. And that's what we like to discover. That's what we like to like kind of search back into again. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yes, there's, there's a lot of product out, but it's also more bad product as well. Yeah. You know? oh, I mean, so you have to, you have to pick and choose your, your things. So I, I think that makes it easier for young filmmakers if they're green lighting bad projects. Mm. You certainly have a chance, right? <laughs> oh yeah, especially because there's that streaming ecos- ecosystem where it's like, okay, we really want a movie for Tubi next week. Uh, who can we get to to make it? Or it's just, it's even acquisitions getting more. Acquisitions are acquisitions. crazy these days. They're yeah. crazy. And I tell young filmmakers all the time, make sure you trust your distributor, because that's the person that's going to open the gateway for whether you're going to see uh, revenue down the line. And too many people don't, you know, so, and then they get discouraged and then they walk away and maybe only have one film to their history. I want everybody to succeed. The more people are happier, the less stress we're going to have, you know? I actually had the pleasure of shooting a film over in the Ukraine, right? And I got some good friends over there I got to see the Augusta studio where film technically began with the Timken. And the fact of those people, when I talked to my filmmakers over there, I said, How's it, what's the climate? I mean, you got Russia at the border, you got U.S. intervention, and they said they're just taking it day by day. But I see the shots and I say, God, what a life that is. So we here in America and other civilized places, we don't realize how good we have. All this partisan backfighting and bullshit that's going on. It's just making us look weak. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to get into conspiracy. Uh, I'm diversing. I shouldn't say that, but I got to be honest. I mean, I'm. I know. I'm just saying that you know, in my in my heart of hearts, we'll put it that like, you know, there's there's outside influences that have caused it to make it even worse. I would say. Let's just put it that way, and we'll leave we'll leave it at that. Well, when you get a bag of jelly beans, right? You see the colors on the jelly bean, right? So purple one is going to taste purple, whatever that tastes like. Yellow is going to taste sunshiny, you know? So that's it. A yellow and a purple jelly bean are very clear as to what their identities are. Well, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to get too far. I'm, I'm having an actual fantastic time talking about things that are not movies, to be honest with you. But we, we are very interested in the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people very much, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, and we'll get into them. But just like when people heard it was first coming out, they're like, why are you remaking this kind of thing? And there's all these stories back, and we won't go necessarily go into all of them unless you have some insight for us. But I'm wondering when you first heard about it, was it something you maybe were even trepidatious of? I was like, why do I want to do a remake of such a... No, I, I first heard, I was doing a film in Pittsburgh with Forrest Whitaker, and it was our second film together, the first one being and it was he that brought me, brought the project to my attention. And even at first I said, wow, yeah, Dwayne Jones, that's a classic. And he says, you know, you're from the same tribe. You know, where you're waiting for, you should go. So Saturday was my day off. I went over to the production office. I saw Tom Savini. And uh, he was in a hurry. And I convinced him to sit down and listen to an uh, impromptu uh, uh, monologue. And then that money, I got the job. No, I wasn't, I thought, I, I thought, I remember seeing the original in the drive-in theater. And uh, I knew I wanted to be an actor, but I wasn't sure how to navigate the path yet. And I saw Dwayne Jones, I said, well, look at that. There's a black actor on screen, that's not Sidney Poitier, that's being active. and Nobody's questioning whether he's black, white, Puerto Rican, whatever. And I said, that's the kind of acting I want to do. So when it came to me, I knew it was right. I never heard any of the chatter. Thank God there was no social media at the time. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. Even. There was nothing. And we were just in Washington, PA, doing our job. I knew Tom was uh, enthralled with the project. George Romero, rest in peace, is there every day. Patty Tallman was gracious to work with, as was everybody. William, Tom, uh, it was just a great experience. And my son was born. Oh. So, I, so I had a choice. I could have done another film that was, ended up being much more popular, but was I felt much more negative as a young father. And I wanted to be a hero for my first film out of the box with my son. What did you end up passing on? Um, you can do your research. I don't want to, I've said it before in different interviews. Yeah. 
Fair. Not really, but because I'm not, I respect the people that did do it, and uh, yeah, it was a gangster film. So look it up. It was a gangster yeah. film around that same period. But I will say, I am glad that you threw yourself in front of Tom Savini for this one because in doing the research for this, I ran across a couple documentaries, and I love that story. We're like, I knew all the words front and back, and I just had got Tom. It's like you got to let me read for this. Yeah, and it was one. There was that actor's moment where you, and you, if you're taught well, you're taught to like, if you have the opportunity, you know, without physically hurting someone, but you make sure that you, it's like a superpower. You, you just compress and you let them know that you are the person that's meant to have the role. And I think and that's, that's exactly. what And that doesn't happen every day. That's the only time in my career that's happened. Hmm. So. And then you're exactly the type of person that I think should be cast in this movie because while it is a remake, Mm-hmm. There is a certain amount of reinvention and sort of reinvigoration for a modern generation. But yeah. at the same time, it is still the same story. So you really need people that understand the ins and outs. So a fan like you, and also a really talented actor like you, that's just a double whammy to get in on a, a project like this. It was a blessing. It was totally a blessing. I know there was a lot of A-list people that really wanted to do that. Um, so, you know, wins are important for a young actor. When you get a win, it's something infectious. You know, you can have a basketball team that's struggling. All of a sudden, they trade the new player, and all of a sudden, you know, it, uh, a vortex opens up, and they're on the same page. That's what it felt like. And I knew, okay, it was my first lead role, and also it introduced me to the horror community. It's my first horror film. So for that, thank you, Tom. Thank you, George. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Bill. It was wonderful and a great experience. I, I, I was funny because I was rewatching it, you know, because it's been a while since I've, since I've actually sat down and watched it. And in your mind, you think, you know, yes, I know Tom's behind the director's chair, but he obviously probably still has a lot of thoughts on what he wants the effects to look like. And knowing what he's capable of and what he's done and what he can, will still do. It was a lot less actual gorier than I either remembered or thought it would be at that point. Were you on also on set thinking like, even surprised, like, yeah, this is just, you know, like any other film, there's nothing, there's nothing different about it, or I kind of maybe wanted it more to be bloodier. Yeah, Tom had a director's cut in mind that he wasn't able to get to because of time constraints. Uh, so, yeah, I, but I know that the team, which included John Vilich and, um, and Greg Nicotero. <laughs> Thank you very much, Thelonious. That's what I'm telling you guys, okay? Trying to drink some water and knocking over the whole station. Uh, I know that, that they were totally committed to creating original uh, one-of-a-kind zombies. So we had that. And then I think it was the story. You know, the story yeah. was the monster. The, the, the house was the monster. The fact that all of us, diverse personalities and different races being trapped in that environment, that was the monster among us. So. And you also have the distinction of being in not only one, but two remakes of Night of the Living Dead because there was the animated remake that came later on where you and Bill Mosley were the two people that actually got to reprise their roles from the 90 remake. Yes. That must have been, I, I, did you still know everything? No, I was a little point? disappointed how that came out, but the, the intentions were good. You know, uh, it took them two and a half years to, and they, they went through several tech teams to get the animation, which I didn't think was fully realized. But uh, I was happy to reprise uh, Ben. And it's always a pleasure to work with, with Bill Mosley. Uh, he and I joke that uh, I think we've been in six films together, but never in the same scene. So oh, one day that's going to change. You know what? Someone's going to hear this and they're just, they're going to make it happen. They have to make it happen. Folks, well, make yeah, this I put happen. it out in the universe years ago. But Bill and I are very cool people. You know, that's another gentleman with longevity. Uh, and there's several people like that, uh, not only in the horror community, but in film in general. And those are the people that you should really listen to for how they navigated this landscape, how they've learned how to manage money, how they've learned how to deal with the con world and and fan madness. And, and they're still happy and content. And, you know, you know it's not just, an easy road. Sorry, Mike, go ahead. Sorry. No, that was it. No, just- I, I would, Where you know, are you guys at, by the way? Are you in the Northeast? Where you at? Yeah, yes. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in Queens. I'm in New York. 
Okay, great. Love Queens food, man. And where are you, Mike? I'm over in New Jersey. Okay. Well, I felt yeah, I felt a New England thing or an East Coast thing. So that's good. Bring me back. <laughs> hey, look, if you want, I can go pick up some Chinese food and some great bagels, send them over to you. Oh, uh, so that's what we're known for. I know, man. Queens is only up come up, brother. That's fantastic. And those are vinyls behind you or these discs? Oh, oh no, no. These are these are my records, yeah. Okay, great. I love it. Now I like your decor too, Mike. Thank you. You know, I try to keep some good books stocked behind me and what have you. Mm -hmm. It's nice. It's wonderful for the guest because it helps facilitate conversation. And I'm just kind of tired of looking at blank walls myself. I mean, it's perfectly fine if the guest has them, but someone's got to, someone's got to put something in there. Yeah. But then there's also the, 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 the fabric of doing too much. I've seen some weird zooms. Yeah. Too much, man. When you get the fake, uh, like I'm in the tropical island behind you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've, had, I've had people tell me that they thought this was a background. Like I just put it up there to look like fancy or something like that. No, no. Yeah, I can tell. I know real between fake, man. That's real. <laughs> you guys are real. Well, we try. Ah. We try. We try very hard. Well, we all try, right? I, want, I wanted to ask, though, I wanted to go back quickly, though, and ask about because. Whether or not people misconstrued it or not from the first place, I know because I know I think George uh, came out about the original Night of the Living Dead and saying, well, of course, it is a social commentary. He didn't mean to the ending to necessarily be about a racial divide. Well, and, how could it not? It was really I, know, I, th I think so, too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. But I mean, even though they have that availability in still happening between Ben and some of the other housemates, we'll say. Since the ending did change a little bit, were you, did that worry you at all? What? That, that they changed what? the ending a little bit? And that's in that no, matter since the original was, was so powerful? Great. We well, we made it in 1991. So, you know, feminism was taking a, a, a strong stance, and I'm all for empowerment. And I thought that was a great twist. I mean, you, you, both versions you end up with uh, Ben being killed. <laughs> so um <laughs> You know, and I think Patty helped define that that unique heroism in it. Uh, I once asked George, I said, "How did how how did you end up casting Dwayne?" And I'm sure this story is public record, but he said, "You know, the role wasn't originally written white or black," and he said Dwayne just happened to be the best actor to come in the room in that particular week. And then, but when you do that, of course, people are going to read whatever racial tensions they want to read within with that choice. And once that was established, then he went ahead and made sure he had great black actors in all films, Ken Faree, Terry Alexander, and Minter Field. Matthew, thank you for touching on that with Tony, but the ending, because I I was wondering how I would react to it because, you know, I saw the first one, like maybe 20 years ago, oddly enough, I was in London studying and it was around the time Dawn of the Dead, the remake came out. Okay. Two in the morning, I'm doing laundry and I'm watching this movie for and it's it creeps me out so like deep that it's still one of my favorites. That's and awesome. then and then it's like I've kind of had the 90 remake. This is the first time I've seen it. I've had it at an arm's length because it's like, okay, what's new? Like what how do it's it was nothing against the film. It's just okay, when am I ready to do this? Right. And I'm so glad I did because that ending, I think, is it's a little more poignant surely for the fact that you know you you get to know these characters a little more there's more fleshing out of barbara and ben mm -hmm. and just that last scene of him in in the cellar just yeah it's, it's me. a moment of irony and like what the fuck man we could get a bit out of here if we didn't have i think that's a lesson of the movie that we didn't have these racial tensions if we had all learned how to work together we would have been all right yeah, but at it was, least somebody makes it, right? Yeah, well, and just yeah, and then I remember in one of those documentaries they mentioned the original ending they wanted, which would have been even more. I don't know how they would have. They probably wouldn't have gotten away with this, considering what they had to cut in 1990. It was supposed mm -hmm. to be Ben and Cooper's bodies on the pile, and you see them slowly burning down mm. through the credits. Got it. And if that's that not symbolism. That's a great symbolism. I didn't hear any word of that being done because we were crunching for time. We only had six weeks to make this film. 
Oh, wow. And then everybody, a lot of a lot of the zombies and writers and people that were just calling in shots, you know, everybody wanted to be a zombie. I remember uh, like maybe two weeks before the film wrapped, I got done. I knew I didn't, I wasn't up for the next scene. And I said, I cannot eat lunch anymore with people to have axes in their heads and, you know, bricks <laughs> on the side of their face. And I jumped in my car and I made it all the way to Pittsburgh. Went and had a beer at uh, who's a famous sports figure there that had a bar at the time. And then I doubled back to the set and just in time to whack somebody in the head. <laughs> <laughs> to, add, to add to another axe in the head. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they had people coming in from Kentucky to be zombies in this the yes. moment they, they announced it. It was insane. It was like a zombie show. All you saw was zombies, zombies, zombies. So they were in the majority. We were in the minority. The six of us, seven of us in the house. I, I know you had said that you didn't hear any of the, you know, quote unquote kerfuffle about wanting to do a remake. Again, it's no social media at that point. It wasn't part of your interest at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering if you if you looked into any of the information after because I, I found it I find it very interesting because again, I'm very much the kind of person that there have been great remakes. And if I was if I was like very because I was like 10, 9, 10 years old at the time, and I don't mm -hmm. know if I would have consciously said oh no you can't do that but because no, you're 10. <laughs> well no but i find i find it very interesting that you know like not to say that george wouldn't want to do it anyway because again he, he did rewrite the script it was not something mm -hmm. like he was like done without his knowledge of course like you said he's there but no, that he's there that, today. yeah the, but the idea that possibly because just like we knew there were issues with the original rights of the film he's going to lose them didn't want anybody to make another knockoff so right. yeah let's do this right so does it also, there's also the feeling of you know, being part of like, we can correct a wrong, even if we find about it afterwards. He was controlling his own history. I mean, and they were also putting money in their pocket that they got ripped off from the original. Yeah. So, and everybody was there. John Russo, Russ Steiner, all the original guys were on set. Yeah, it also didn't help that there was that legal battle that created the, the Return of the Living Dead series. Yeah. Right, right. I'm not as privy to that because I remember yeah. being in New York when I saw the uh, posters to that, but they, they just basically got away by turning it into a comedy, right? Yeah, well, yeah. like, kind of, yeah, like, they were more of an 80s sort of thing, whereas mm -hmm. it was it was more outlandish versus Romero's Dead series, where, sure, right. there were humorous bits here and there, especially in, like, Dawn, but it was more progressingly dour because you're going further into this history of humanity dealing with the undead. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it was never, I saw it once. It was never really on my radar past that, honestly. Yeah, I never, <laughs> I never saw it. I met a couple of the actors from it, but never saw it. Well, thinking about, though, your history in not just film, but like you said, like, you know, into the horror world, I'm sure you get stopped tons of times and everybody's going to say Candyman. And that's, you know, you know, the first thing that comes to their mind. Is there a desire to open up people's eyes to other things? Whether again, not even horror, like, you know, for me, honestly, maybe it's because I watched it like every day when I was a kid. The first film that always comes to my mind when I, when I hear your name is, is Lean On Me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just wondering if, there's, if there is that desire to kind of open up people to other things using your status in that World. Well, here's the thing. Okay, I'm very well trained. I have an MFA in theater. I can play anything, all right? My dear friend Stan Shaw once told me that once Hollywood lets you in the door and you come in there playing blue, they're going to want you to play blue for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It could be blue, yellow, red, whatever. I'm a character actor. I've learned and accepted that. So by taking different roles in different independent films like Stoker Hill, I'm able to uh, create little telegraphic snippets of, of life. Uh, there's some good films we have in the can that I can't talk about. Me and Bernard Rose collaborated during the, in the very early stages of the pandemic and created a beautiful film called Traveling Light. Uh, it's non-horror. It's just everybody in the film, we all came together and we wanted to make Olivia Diabo um, Stephen Dorff, Danny Houston, um, and myself. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful film that's gotten a lot of attention. So that'll be releasing soon this year. 
Um, and we're very proud of that. Uh, and there's a couple, like I said, when I finish with you guys, I got to sign contracts and some things that are like, one of them is like kind of horrific, but in a different medium. Yeah. And the other is uh, completely different. So we'll see. So I just keep, you know, God gives me the opportunity to, uh, we get scripts every week. You know, we turn down a lot more than we actually do. Yeah. Uh, we try to, me and my managers, Gold, Jeff Goldberg, and Gwen Pepper from Defining Artists, we want to make sure that every job is different from the last one. And that's how we try to stay ahead of the curve. And then I have to throw in at least this year, I was offered two plays this year, but I doubt that both of them are going to be done. Both of them are August Wilson play. One is Jitney at the St. Louis Black Repertory Theater and then Fences at the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival. So we'll see. And that's just because of you, you're not sure. Just because of COVID. Because of COVID yeah. Like last year, I did the How I Learned What I Learned at the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival. It was a 450 seat theater. We had 110 seats open, and we did for three weeks, and it was wonderful, man. Fantastic. That's my first love theater. So that's where it started. That's where everything began for me. And that's where I, I, if I could die on stage, it would be a happy death. I don't mean to laugh at that because I mean, I, that would be horrible just in general, but I understand and I, I can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, well, death is something we all face. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in years now, so I'm very uh, moralistic and uh, appreciative. Yeah, I mean, that's just, it's it's the human condition. And it, again, you you use fiction, you use these, I mean, whether it's a horrific tale or, or something that's even lighthearted, you're just sort of chipping away at that fear like every project or everything that you watch, it's just, it's building in your mind to help you sort of accept it as you get into the autumn of one's years or whatever yeah, phase. Autumn, but sometimes the autumn comes early. One never knows, does it? No, no <laughs> That's why don't. every conversation, every interview, every film, every TV show is another cipher in this continuum that we have, you know, called human life. So... You know, that just makes me even more excited to even be having this conversation with you and Matt. Like, I mean, you know, sometimes in, in sometimes, you know, we, you go for the scoop and it's like, okay, I've got this really good question, like this project here, but then you get sidetracked into something like this and it becomes even more beautiful. And, Which is great. That's great yeah. conversations are great conversations, you know, and if somebody out there is listening to what you guys are doing and they happen to tune in and they happen to get inspired or they happen to say, wow, that's a beautiful journey that we've done our jobs, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, it's interesting. And, interesting. Okay, go ahead, Micah. No, I didn't have anything. Well, <laughs> How could you not have anything? I just go with it. I just either, it's just conversation. The hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going with it. And then Matt's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. And it's like, oh, I don't want to get in the way here. Well, no, you know what it is? It made me think, because you said, because Mike, you had said, you know, people sometimes think they're going after the scoop. And, and, I, and Mike and I've had this conversation before because I'm the type of person and Mike's the type of person that we go into this. We're not, we, we're not looking, we're never looking for scoops. If something happens, it happens, you know? But I'm wondering, just because we're talking about it now, have you had those sit downs with people where you can tell that they're just, that's all they're aiming for. And, you know, like, does it really kind of pull away from the desire to even want to keep talking to people? Wait, wait, what is all there? If, if, if they're just trying to, you can tell that all they're sitting there is just trying to like get you to say something that's, you know, like. Oh, no, I, I think I'm pretty, I've done enough interviews. I know how to, you know, you got to connect to the people you're talking to, right? And and find points of interest and and, and let it roll. Uh, my race fair is I don't want to be saying the same things. So I'm just trying to find, uh, you know, and there's a lot of things to talk about. Yeah. Um, Stoker Hill is the latest film to be distributed and once again we have a young cast um you know uh, i got a word to say about young cast so because i'm a, being a veteran of final destination uh, i've seen <laughs> young cast come and go yeah i've seen them and their expectations are, are raised to the sky particularly the last final destination we five and we did a whole press junket down in san diego comic-con they sent the kids to um, had their own hair and makeup people. Some of them like took it 
as it was. Some people let it go to their heads. And I, during the whole time, I wanted to say to them, and and respectfully, that some of you are doing this for the wrong reasons. It's not about the beautification. It's not about superstardom. It's about the work. And if you go back to the history of, I'm just using Final Destination as an example, okay? Mm -hmm. The history was there's been five of them. How many of those young stars are still with us? Now, we can name two, obviously, but you know what I'm saying? It's all Hollywood does yeah. that. Well, it uses and exploits youth, right? And youth, people who are young need to know that and don't fall into the traps. You know, you don't want to just walk away making one movie and then end up parking cars for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, or if you do, you should get stepped back and write a movie about that. <laughs> There doesn't have to be there's a scoop that never brought up that my <laughs> analogy about how Hollywood eats is young before. Well, that's especially true with Final Destination because it's a franchise and it's a horror yeah. franchise. And those movies, those sort of things love to either you have the same cast and they slowly get picked off one by one throughout the, the whole run. Or in the case of Final Destination, you know, it's fresh meat every time and sometimes you get a mary elizabeth winstead sometimes you get someone else and yeah no there have been success stories among them but all of them come into it thinking that this is going to be the thing that's going to make them a star yeah that's yeah. my only observation you know and some of them listen public enemy once said it very correctly don't believe the hype the secret to longevity is don't believe shit don't believe anything keep it real have a cat around you that doesn't give a damn about what the fuck you're doing if you got to do a room okay i mean keep it fucking honest be honest to yourself be honest to your loved ones your kids if you have any you know just like later on i'm gonna go to a supermarket i'm gonna be kind to the produce person okay give me this and they're gonna love it whether they know me or not i'm giving them a moment of dignity and, and respect and passing the torch so and a lot of times i'm on the film and i i wish that you know i'm an open book and i wish people would ask me more questions but for whatever reason whether they're in awe whether they're just consumed with creating their own thing i really get asked questions on the set which is a little disappointing so you just try to teach by example I mean, I don't know about Matthew, but I'm lucky that I'm getting words out here because, I mean, lifelong fan of yours with Thank all you. of the different projects you've done. And, you know, like I said, I he he told me about this. I was over the moon. But well, after, it, yeah. Well, lately, the big the latest chapter of show business that I'm in conquering is voiceover. So, you know, yes. I can talk about some of the things that are public knowledge, like playing Venom in the next Spider-Man game. It's going to be through I'm so excited. I'm a gamer myself. Uh, they gave me carte blanche. Uh, it's going to be probably one of the most stunning video games ever made. Oh, yeah. That, that first Spider-Man game was amazing. Wasn't it? I mean, I'm still, I still go to it every now and then when I want to just swing through the canyons in New York. <laughs> but... Uh, and like then, I've told uh, people, that's my favorite Spider-Man movie. It's Marvel Spider-Man on PlayStation 4. There you go. There you go. And then the new movie came out and it did box office vocal business. So that's all good, man. And there's another video game that we're also working on. I can't tell you the name of it because it's like four contracts, but they think it's as big as Spider-Man. So and both were dropping in 2023. So it's going to be a good year for that. Um, I was just thinking it was hopefully I was like I was like you should be the, you should be a voice in the new Bioshock but it's probably not going to be that no it's not Bioshock I love Bioshock though I play religiously but yeah, it's me not too. That. Me too. oh yeah. that would be so wonderful oh yeah. man I, I can't give you any more clues but uh, it, it's not an unknown entity well entity. we'll have to we'll have to sit down again when that comes out talk a little bit more there about that as well because unfortunately yeah. To be as, as talking about being honest, I wish we could just sit here for, for four hours and talk. This is an absolute pleasure, but we have to let you go, unfortunately. So, well, you guys have been kind, gracious, um, connected, and I really appreciate that. This is the first thing I'm doing on this beautiful new week of a beautiful 2022, folks. Thank you again.
Thank you. Mike, thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Okay. Right. Yeah. And say, send our love to Thelonious. Yes. Yes. That's thank you. That's from us. Okay. Hold on a second. Okay. Oh, we're going to see the baby. My wild boy right here. Oh, so there's the baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God, it's enough. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. Have, Have a good one. one. Thank you. We got, we got double, we got double trouble because Tony was allowed to come in with his young cat. Yes, you know, it was the first time I think we've had a cat in the shop, but no, Thelonious... no, Brandon oh, no. third had his cat with him. He had a hairless. Who did he go? Brandon Sexton the third. Oh yes, that's correct. Well, you know what? I think it's just I, I think it's safe to say that we are an animal friendly workplace, an animal friendly video store. Um, we'll talk about the dearth of cat films versus dog films another day. But yeah, yeah. it was nice to see Tony and his cat Thelonious, yes, who is yes. just a cute little baby. Um, what a conversation! I mean, that's I I really do enjoy when we get someone on the show that we could talk about the movie for five minutes, and if they're all about that was my dryer, sorry. <laughs> and if they are all about, I'm glad that didn't go off during the show. Well, I, was, but, I was just confused. I was just wondering what it was, but I'm like, I'll ask him later. <laughs> oh, no, just, you know, uh, testing some weapons here, you know, weapons grade utonium, yellow cakes and all that. And anyway, now we're flagged by the CIA, but it's it's just really nice that if if we were to just talk five minutes, with, we, we talk, like we, we talk very little about Stoker Hills, which, you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's a decent enough movie. It's not a bad thing, but I like when the guest can drive a conversation. Hey, and Tony hey. Todd is one of those people that drives a conversation in such a beautiful, natural way. Like right from the beginning, when he talks, we're talking about football. I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't. Know, I didn't know I was ready to go. All right, I'm good. <laughs> That's the nature of the game here. But I love that, and just he, he, you can tell that he, he does not suffer fools. But at the same time, if he's really in the mood of a conversation, he's there, and he's just present and just whatever you talk about in that sphere is golden because he is just so insightful i um it's it's interesting too because when you know thinking about all the things we again we could have talked to him about the reason why i thought the night of living dead remake was such a great thing to talk about is is that it has a strange history that i don't think a lot of people kind of know about but it, it is in so many ways not just for him of course because Ben, in many ways, both in the original and remake, while being technically your protagonist, he's just one of one of two. But it was such a, it was, it was such. I, it really is like you think about it, you think about the original, and then you think about like, well, who would be a great person to come in and, and do it? Tony Todd, well, of course, it's yeah. perfect. And uh, you know, I really wanted to delve into that because. You know, the, the remakes, again, also not a bad movie. It's just the people, especially when it first came out, were just like, why? Uh, and, you know, I, I think it took time for it to get out there. And so people, I think, just overlook it. Well, yeah, that's that's really any remake. It's nothing that's, that's uh, unique to internet culture now where, you know, as we were talking before, could you imagine if they announced today, oh, yeah, Dawn of the, uh, Night of the Living Dead's getting another remake. And I, I, I always marvel at the fact that because of a simple title change and no copyright notice, this movie is, the original is so easy to find. Like you have everything from the Criterion Collection to a CGI remake to, you know, a whole bunch of copies, some colorized, some not, some with riff tracks of the original 60s version. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I won't go into to tons of detail. And we, we did talk about it a little bit, but for people who don't know, the original Night of the Living Dead, basically, they never really had any rights after a certain point. There was just a big mess up. We'll leave it at that. They changed the title to Night of the, from Night of the Flesh Eaters. Yeah, basically, they, they had anybody, all TV stations just took it and ran it all, all night long. So really, George Romero had no ownership to his own film. Plus, how we also mentioned, like his writing partner originally moved off to make the Return of the Living Dead movies, which are, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to be able to take a zombies now and do my own thing with it and started yeah. the whole of the franchise, which just threw into the whole mix. So 
like they were saying, uh, like we said very quickly, is that when it came time at a certain point, you know, they had to strike while the iron was hot to make sure that they could remake money they're losing by not getting any rights to the original, retain rights to the idea of it. So for future, because we finally ended up getting more dead movies later on. Uh, and this, and they're talking about after Dawn, the original Dawn and Day, of course. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's something that had to be done. So that's what you do. You know, it makes no, I have no qualms. I'm, 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 I'm happy for them that they did it. Well, it's also a remake that modernizes the idea without hammering the modernity into your head. Well, it's, like it's, it, they very much change Barbara. They beef up Barbara's character. And plus I want Patricia Tallman on this show because <laughs> I, not only do I love her between this and Babylon five, but just the way that they beef up Barbara. But at the same time, Ben is still a fantastic character that's very integral to everything. Well, that's the thing, you know, like the the movie is technically though beyond that or in, you know, with those additions, it really isn't that different. There is not that massive amount of difference between the two. Again, they played around with the ending uh, a little bit. And, and, you know, we talked about it during the interview, but I didn't really kind of, you know, I made it sound like, oh, how dare they in my own mind, which I never really felt that way. I mean, again, I could feel that way about many films if I love them and then I see them later on, they're doing a remake and I'm like, oh, but even though I hate, if I hate a remake of something, you know, you got to give them credit when they try to do something different because why would you just want to see the same thing exactly 100% again? You want something different. Exactly. I mean, that's um, a film I don't think we'll ever discuss on this show unless we find an interesting way to, to attack it. You know what I'm talking about. No, Gus Van Zandt's 1998 uh, Psycho. Which was a shot for shot, almost a shot for shot remake. We did a little bit of a talk about that because what I can't remember who we were talking to. It was either Robert Wool or or somebody else. Where I act because I accidentally instead of saying Gus Van Sant for some reason, I said uh, Richard Linklater. Oh yeah. Oh now I remember. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that was something that was the discussion we had then was that that was something that I remember when it came out. We never heard any of this news, and all of a sudden now it's Gus Van Sant saying, "Well, he did it." because people were coming with him with all these ideas and he wanted to show how stupid it was in his own mind to do something like this. So he did it, which I don't know. Oh, so he totally signed a contract with Universal and cast Vince Vaughn and Anne Hage and Viggo Mortensen and uh, William H. Macy and Julianne Moore to waste their time just basically thumbing his nose at the studio. I don't know. Something like that. Oh, well, it's not the weirdest thing I've heard, but but yeah, I just, and also what's really interesting about this is Tom Savini finally got to work on Night of the Living Dead because just as he was about to go into production with George Romero, he's called into duty in Vietnam as a combat photographer. And I know that's a lot of, uh, that's part of why some of these movies came about the way they did is, and especially the, some of the effects uh, minds like him did what they did because they saw this stuff in the field. And they were inspired, but also haunted by like yeah. the, the actual, you know, horrific nature of Vietnam. Well, that is the thing about this too. And we mentioned it, you know, I mentioned how I, I was, I couldn't remember. And then like thinking to myself that it's not as gory as I would have thought that it would have been. And I know that Tony hooks it up to Tom being time pressured, but I did read some reports and I don't know if they're true or not that the like few days where George was not on site set, the producers mess with Tom. And he couldn't get the things done he wanted to do. And a lot of the stuff that he, and you watch these documentaries, so maybe you can tell me the, the things he wanted to do probably would have been gorier, but they didn't get in there. There are scenes excised from this that are gorier. Like there were gorier deaths planned and excised. And apparently they were raked over the coals by the MPA. They're like, look, we're going to give you an NC-17 hmm. with some of the stuff you've got in here. Which if you watch the footage on these, in, these, uh, in these documentaries, you'd get an R with it now. It's and so strange, it's, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. It's the MPAA for you. But, you know, in, in retrospect, Tom Zimini has looked back on the cuts that had to be made in the compromises. Like, look, I actually, now that I think about it, do not mind it as much because it does leave you with that imagination factor that you can very much, you know, whatever you come up with is going to be worse than what we show on the screen. Well, I, um, you know, and I, my, my mind of that goes to, like you were saying, now would have been an R rating because there's so many, there's so many things. Like I remember either I missed them when I was young or maybe I just wasn't ready for it at the time with that. And then you go back and you hear all about it and you watch them now and you're like, 
that's the tamest thing I've seen in like, I don't know how long. That happens with so many movies and not just gore. This happens with a lot of stuff now. It's like you go back and you watch it, but like that's kind of silly almost. And it's, you know, more and more things are getting through now, I guess. I don't know. I don't know the specific reasons why it's okay now, but it is weird. Well, what's weird is you go back and uh, not to put us onto a side, too much of a side rail here, but you look at a movie like Airplane, you have full frontal nudity for, of a, you have a woman's breasts on screen for like a good 30 seconds as a gag. That's a PG movie. You would not get that now. That was a PG? That was PG because it was before the PG-13 was amended. God, then yeah. it became, yeah. you would get a PG-13 movie that showed you some assets. And now it's just, no. And that's not me it. criticizing anything. That's just me marking a passage of time where PG-13 doesn't mean what it used to. PG doesn't mean what it used to. Yeah, I forgot PG-13 technically came out when I was when I was a kid. That's what... <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, around the time of... Ghostbusters, right? I think it was after, because it was like a, a lot of people thought that it was Gremlins and... Gremlins. Okay. And, and uh, Temple of Doom. Yeah, that were, around that they, time, those yeah. were the two test cases that everybody mentioned, but it was like apparently in the works, and that just was the, the flashpoint. What's more interesting though is I was not aware this was, until you said it that this was your first time seeing the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah, and I remember buying this on DVD from Circuit City, it was like I think it was discounted, and I just had it sitting on my shelf, and I was gonna watch it at some point. I might even still have my copy. I'm not sure. But the whole thing was, I, I wasn't, I don't know what it was. I think I guess I just never really thought to dive into it, but I was going to eventually. It wasn't because ever, it wasn't because there was this massive wave of, of upset and terror. It's just, I'll, I'll eventually get to it. And I'm glad that I did because it is, it is definitely one of those remakes where it honors the original, but allows itself to, become more modernized for an audience of today because not everybody's gonna watch night of the living dead in 2004 in london and be wowed i was but not everyone else is going to well you know it's, it's also another point that i forgot about i was going to think about talking when we were talking to tony bringing it up but it kind of got passed by and you reminded me of it i was thinking about this because beyond the fact of all of the rights issues um that we talked about for why they did the remake I think around the time it came out, up even till after it came out, the, we were still seeing this kind of swarm where younger audiences just like kind of like would, would stick their nose up at like black and white films. And there are people who may have never even watched the original Night of the Living Dead just because of black and white. And it's different now. A lot of kids now are a lot more open to a lot of stuff, I notice. But I think back then it also could be, you know, you could chalk it up to like we want more people to witness this but they just won't do it because they don't want to watch quote-unquote old movies yeah like could you imagine the youth of 2001 like hey there's this oceans 11 movie with frank sinatra you guys know him right whereas you know hey uh george clooney brad pitt matt damon don Cheadle, and all these other wonderful cats are gonna go and make their own oceans 11 and there you go I remember I had rewatched the original Ocean's Eleven like a few years ago just because I couldn't remember it that well. And I still can't remember it that well. It's not that much I really don't care about that movie. The original oh, I Ocean's love that movie. Yeah. The Frank Sinatra oh, movie? It, yeah, oh, the, the, I love both of them. But the original is just, it's, that was a hangout movie. Like they're all performing nightclub dates in Vegas and making this movie about a heist. And it's just cool. But Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven is cool for a different reason. And it's just, it's nice to have those two bits of cool that can exist on their own. Very true. Very true. Even though I don't know how much I love even the Steven Soderbergh movie. I'll watch it, but I'm not in love with it. You know who else is cool? Tony Todd, because he's a video game fan. And I loved that whole detour. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, you know, obviously he said like the the other thing he's working on is a new IP, so we can't really guess what it is. But like now I'm just going to be on the lookout for whatever it is. I'm hoping one of those contracts he's signing is maybe an appearance in the new Final Destination. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that he'll be there whenever that happens. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if, I mean, 
who knows if they'll actually just cast him as the corner or just do like a, a a Chris Sarandon thing in like the Fright Night remake where he'll get like a cameo with something else. I mean, yeah. this is a franchise where previously he got to be the devil when he wasn't a coroner. <laughs> well, whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be great. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully catch up with him for, for more talk because I'm sure we got plenty. I'm not sure. <sighs> I know we would have plenty more to talk to the man about. And we don't even need to talk about his movies. He can just pluck something from the ether and we'll watch it because oh yeah, the, Tony Todd is one of those guests you want back. You're lucky to get him once. That's great, but you want him back just because the conversation is so beautiful. So with that, everybody, go to make sure you cross Night of the Living Dead off your overdue rentals list. Check out Stover Hills if you can. Mike, where can people find us? Ah, well, that is a very good question because... Much like Tony Todd, we are denizens of the internet. We are we are the cool kids as well. And you can find us uh, on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rental Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us recommendations, love letters, uh, questions for Tony Todd when he comes back, you can email us at OverdueRentals at gmail.com. But don't forget that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, wherever you find your fine quality podcasts. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so the rental counter can stay open and we make sure Thelonious gets his water. Yes, and yes. And he'll knock over. Blah-bye. Blah-bye.